The password is Go Fast Boats Mojitos. What's up, y'all? Adam Pecora here, and you are tuned in to a Requiem for a Tuesday. Thank you for checking this one out. We got a big one here. Uh, near and dear to the heart, so I'll just get into the plugs and then we can dive right in. Rate, review, and subscribe to Requiem for a Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or whatever you may listen to it on. We are available everywhere, of course. But you already know that because you're listening. Uh, <laughs> check out the music, Multiplex, Wolf X. We got lots of jams all over the place. Uh, Wolf X. Again, don't listen to the BDSM stuff. That's some other guy, and they won't separate it. And they told me to do it. So that's not going to change. But Multiplex, we're still the only ones called that. So check us out. That stuff's better anyway. Uh, Yeah, all false noise, Google, lots of good stuff. Check it all out. Uh, what else? Check out Microwave Minutes, Justice's show. Uh, there may be an episode coming out of that. You know, you just got to keep an eye on that one. So I'm not in charge, so what can you do? Not everybody can be like me, timely and accommodating. <laughs> not quite. Uh... You know, whatever else. Check out the merch, rfat.bigcartel.com. You can follow me on Instagram at adam.rfat. That's R-F-A-T. And, uh, yeah, everything is linked in the description below. Multiple links to multiple things. It all takes you wherever. It's a tree. That's the point. Thank you. Let's just take a second to thank God and... Uh, you know, Joe Byron, whoever else may have been involved. Look, it's just, we're blessed and we're lucky and we're fortunate and that's all great because the bear is back. Uh, something none of us knew we needed, but boy, do I have a desperate fix. And only this show is my junk. Uh, My only complaint is that there's only 10 episodes. Now, this is an increase over eight episodes from season one. FX, triple the budget, order 20 episodes. Let's go. Let's go big. Not that they didn't already. Where do I begin? I mean, as you heard to start the episode, that I lit up like a bell when I heard those words. Lit up like a bell. Did I do that already on this show, too? The second I said that, it triggered a memory. Ugh. Why am I saying lit up like a bell now? This is fucked up. You know, shit like that shouldn't happen until you're like 50. I guess, you know... If you were to pose the question, can you do too much acid? The answer might be yes, is all I'm saying. I think I'm almost definitely going to get dementia. I really need to start doing puzzles and stuff now if this is already how this is going. Although a few years back, I did go through a phase where I forgot to pull my zipper up after urinating. And that only lasted a few months. I got that fog out of there. I trained myself back into it. Uh, but who knows? I don't wear zippered pants anymore. So you never, you never really know what could happen at any moment. Again, praise God. Uh, (laughs) I fucking love this show though. And I love that there was an instant Michael Mann, Miami vice reference. Fun fact. I have a Miami vice film poster framed. In my living room. The second he said those words, I pointed right at it. I said, yes. This show speaks to me. On so many levels. And I don't really know how to... I don't want to do episode by episode. This will definitely have spoilers, though. Because I definitely watched the whole thing. And I'm definitely not holding anything back. 
So if you're soft and didn't power through the season over the weekend like you should have, I'm sorry. You're going to have to skip ahead to Asteroid City, which will also be full tilt spoilers. But, you know, I'll, I'll skip ahead a little for you guys on that one. Uh, don't go see it. So listen to that part. <laughs> uh, here we go. How many times am I going to say here we go? Let's just dive right in. <laughs> Let's just start right now. All right, guys, we're going to get going here. But yeah, I'm going to bounce around. I'm not breaking everything down on this because how many times am I going to say I love it? Like, like you know, what's been happening on this? I've been watching too many things that have been good, frankly, which is good for culture and society, but is a weak spot for this program. You know, so for the sake of lacking redundancy, I don't want to just be like, oh, and that was great, and that was great, and that was great, and that was great. However, I will say a bunch of things that were great, despite me just saying that right now. I just mean full chronological. This show, I have made this point many times about things that are set in Chicago in that they don't encompass anything about the city properly, really at all in any way, most of the time. Uh, there's not a lot of, nobody pays any attention to any logistics of anything that happened here. And that's one thing. The bigger gripe that I typically have is people live downtown and they only do things downtown. And it's just not Manhattan is the point that I'm always trying to make is that people don't do that. Especially modern. I guess I can't speak to how things were back in the day on old shit. Because things have dramatically shifted. Do not get me wrong. But. And look. the I had my reservations the second this came out. No pun intended. I was like, oh, it's set in River North. Of course it's in River North. Now look, the location made sense. One, there is a place. It's a real place that is there. So there's not really anything you can say about that. But. Boy, this year, they made an effort to be like, hey, we're fucking, not only are we repping Chicago, we're going to rep, like, local institutions that matter. And not even institutions necessarily, just places that matter. Whether they're relevant now, have maintained, you know what I'm saying? What I mean by that, for those of you who may not seen, um, early in the season, they're supposed to go on this food tour and scope out a bunch of different places in the city and kind of get tasting vibes for what they want the menu for the new restaurant to look like, right? So first stop, they're like, all right, I'll meet you at Kasama. And I literally, I was, you know, couple, couple uh, whiskey sodas in. And I just go like, fuck, <laughs> now I'm never going to get to try it. Kasama, for those of you who don't know, is a Michelin-starred Filipino bakery. But they also offer a tasting menu, which I assume is where the Michelin star really, really comes from. Point being, your boy was going to get some baked goods, and that's a budgeted Michelin star experience. I, personally, try to try as many Michelin-guided, not even, yeah, even just guided, really. But we have a ton that are on the guide so it's really unfeasible, humble brag. Uh, but any one to two star, you know, if it's somehow affordable in any way, I will try it. The problem just is, is that that's not usually the case. They're usually only tasting menus and they're usually all $200 a person or more. So I have not been to many is the point. <laughs> but that's okay. But Kasama would be one of those where it's like, oh, you know, you could spend 30 bucks and come away with a valid experience. And that's great. The second it's on the show, I'm like, well, now it's double ruined. You know, it's it has a star and it's on the show there. I'll never get to go. But we'll see. I'm going to try and I'll report back still. 
Uh, they go to Margie's Candies, century-old Sunday spot. Uh, already pretty packed because it's summertime. We'll see if that has an impact. Uh, where else did they go? A couple other places they went. Sorry, I don't really remember. But then there's also... I bo- Okay, here's the thing. I'm going to also do some nitpicky things about this same exact situation okay first of all the transit situation i'm not a fan of there it's like they'll show like the green line but then somebody ends but then she ended up at margie's candies doesn't make sense they made it seem there's just a lot of that where it's like somebody took a train that's probably not the right one or it's like well where do they live if they're going over there And it's subtle and it's quick and it's probably not worth the actual effort to get all that right. Maybe. I mean, I think it wouldn't be that hard, but what do I know? It just seems like the logistics are a little silly. Um, But overall, I do appreciate that they're also just like filming. Like when Richie comes out of his house, they're just on some street. Like that's a real neighborhood. There's no reason to not do that also. One of the greatest themes about this show overall, again, outside of the transit thing, maybe the people there just aren't really aware of that or whatever, or, you know, they get a pass is my point for all of the other things that are just done so immaculately well. What do I always say? If people would just try, and man, these people try really hard and not in the bad way, in the good way, and I appreciate all of the effort, can I just get a transparency check is my own is my biggest note overall number two so essentially all of the workers get sent away to different environments in which they will maximize the knowledge they need for their new role at the new restaurant so tina forgive me if i forget the characters names tina gets sent to culinary school with another guy. My bad. Uh, Basically because they need to just work on technical shit and being fast and efficient and whatever. Uh, Marcus gets sent to fucking Copenhagen to work with Carmi's old competition which I didn't realize that until that gets explicitly said a couple episodes later. So they're, you know, that just flew right over my head. Great touch, though. Made a lot of sense in retrospect. And Richie gets sent to Olinia. Now, they don't say it. I don't believe they say it. But from the look of the building, they said it was in Lincoln Park. I believe they said they got three Michelin stars right away. Uh, They're the only three Michelin star in the city. So, I, I mean, and the interior looks like it. Not that I've been inside. I've seen photos. I have had it once because during COVID, they started like one of those pickup things. And it was still like 80 bucks. But again, if I can try it. Wow, so I technically have had a three Michelin star place. That's interesting. But that's technically, and I'm not going to claim it. Anyway, although I just did. But I'm not. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It was incredible, by the way. Certainly the best meal I've ever had in a home. Especially one that I've quote-unquote cooked. Not that I cooked. But it was almost definitely there. Don't know if the like prep kitchen was the real one could can't speak on anything like that but then he starts talking to some lady and the more she talks the more they're like oh she's like the head chef this is not a i'm from chicago complaint i would say because their chef's one of the most famous chefs on earth because they're one of the most famous restaurants on earth so it's like we all know who the guy is. So why why do this part? You know, why not give her some role where 
it could be a really high up role at this place that, you know, we wouldn't know who that is unless you're super plugged into the restaurant world. This is my biggest criticism. Because then she also tells the story of like how she found the place. Hey, maybe that it has some roots in reality, but it doesn't. Because he told he at least told the story of how the restaurant was founded. And in some ways, those were tied together in her story. I don't really remember. I, I was very checked. It was the most checked out I was by a million miles. It worked the least for me. And it is the least important detail possible. So great for that to be the thing that doesn't work for sure. Um, But yeah, I mean... The real story is so much better, like the guy fucking had cancer and couldn't taste and then made up the menu based on science. It's fucking unbelievable. <laughs> uh, and yeah. Then, they kept showing him driving there. But then, they do they did this like transitional shot of the pink line, which to me implies... Somebody took the train and then they show the pink line leaving a station in the distance, which implies that he got off and went to a garage. Point is nowhere near the pink line. So if they were trying to imply any of that, doesn't make any sense. Now, maybe again. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense unless. He took the red or brown line, whichever makes more sense to get to a linear there. from downtown and he took the pink line downtown and then parked there like what but why would you park at the at, with a garage near I just don't know it just doesn't add up to me who drives to the L you know just drive there then so I don't know what that was about but that was clunky and weird again just nitpicking the transit unnecessarily I get it most people don't care. But I feel like they're trying to get Chicago right. You know what I mean? The sensibility, like the way the people act, they went heavy with the accents at the beginning. and they, they straightened all that out, you know, within the first season. So that's fine. Uh, listen, my family's not on that crazy ass level. So let's just talk about episode six. It's the one everybody wants to talk about. It's the flashback origin story. Not origin story necessarily. Um, but I guess maybe the story that's like the last straw for Carmi that led him to leave his family behind finally. Because we kind of got hints at, you know, the tortured nature of Carmi and how like, he didn't want to leave his brother behind and blah, 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 blah. But he just had to get out and he was too good or whatever. You know, you, all of that's been like sprinkled in. But we finally get to see the moment that like ended it all. Uh, you got to see just how crazy everything was to why he's as fucked up as he is. Why Richie is. Uh, why his probably why his brother was a drug addict, but also just. The fact that his brother was just being added on to what already just is a super crazy, horrible situation. Now, they kept this whole thing super under wraps the whole season, but like especially this, the star-studded cast. I mean, where to begin? John Mulaney, Bob Odenkirk, local boys. I don't know how intentional that was. Uh, Sarah Paulson... My girl Jillian Jacobs, which I don't believe that she was. I don't believe she was on the show previously as Richie's ex. Um, so that was exciting to see. And, you know, who else was on there? Whatever. It was just great. It was just great all around. Of course, fucking John Bernthal was back. which was a huge shocker the first time that they got him, but clearly uh, this show blew up to an unbelievable level, so they really 
scaled everything up as much as possible to where I'm sure Bernthal was like, thank God I agreed to do that one scene in this show. I'm now part of this forever. Big ups. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, how the hell was that not first? I went with the local boys, of course. Um, And everybody was amazing. Listen, for me, Jamie Lee character's character was just so nuts. What did I just say? I don't know. It wasn't right, but you know what I mean. Jamie Lee Curtis's character, uh, (laughs) it was just too much. Now, look, hey, if they're saying that's what it was like, whatever. You know, there's fucking crazy fucking people. Somebody's mom has been like that for sure. They could have dialed it back, I would say, just a little bit. Now, maybe they're trying to show how Carmi remembers it all. And that's the real goal of what that episode is. And it's not like, you know, the way the bear is like, we're showing you just them open this restaurant. Maybe that was we're showing you Carmi's memory of this. Maybe that's a way to get away with, you know, an excuse. I don't know. We don't need to overthink it too much. It didn't take me out of the episode. Honestly, John Mulaney took me out of the episode more than anything, but that's just because you know, they gave him the comic relief role overall and he's way funnier than everyone involved with this. So it was he was maybe just too effective as that guy and he was just kind of being himself, which is fine. He was great. Uh his role was great. And every single person had the... Nobody was just playing a straight role in this because everybody had to get into a super dramatic mode for whatever reason, whether it be just the scene that they're within or they're involved in some kind of screaming match or fight or whatever, and it's just amazing. Look, again, I was just completely blown away by the whole thing. Um... Essentially, the mom's just nuts, thinks everybody takes her for granted, explodes, loses her shit. Meanwhile, uh, you got to see how their brother's drug use affected them. You got to see both. Like, what you saw in the first season was why everyone talked about him so much and how he was the best and how everyone loved him so much. But then what you also got to see was what the other side of him was like presumably due to being on drugs he was being called out for being on drugs and everybody just kind of went quiet and was like oh we just kind of don't talk about this like you could just tell like yeah we all know he's on drugs and we just kind of love it when he's being himself and we just kind of shut down when the other side comes up and Bob Odenkirk's character was like an uncle of some sort you know there's loose relation here which is Midwestern relatable? I assume it's relatable everywhere, but this felt, you know, again, to a degree similar of what family gatherings are like for my family, where it's like people from all sides, you know, you're just the in-laws, but you're still invited. You're completely removed but you're a great friend of this part. You know what I mean? Everybody's welcome, essentially. You find, you make your way into the circle somehow, and you're there. You know? Whether it be through marriage or just friendship or true relation. Um, And that's even true that I don't know how some of them are <laughs> related. So the fact that I don't know who's related to who within the bear doesn't really... It doesn't really matter, period. Uh, but also feels intentional that maybe you don't know because you don't need to know because it's all the same to them. Great. Just great. Again, let's put in the effort. Put in things from experience. Put in things that you can easily research or find out also. Again, like the train lines. Uh, <laughs> whatever. Uh, I do think a part of that is that they ha- they don't know w- in which neighborhood all of these people live and maybe haven't looked that deeply into it. That part may be true. That may be the one. I- I'm going to let that part go. <laughs> anyway, it just feels natural is the point overall. And uh, honestly, just everybody in it 
was fantastic. Uh, I assume there won't be too many more family flashbacks. Um, and then the mom comes back for the restaurant opening and the dopey brother-in-law tries to bring her inside, which here's also what I'll say to this show, to the credit of this show. Everybody acts exactly how their character would, but you still, it's still not predictable. If that makes sense. Like the plots are not. I had no I have no idea what direction anything is gonna go at any time. Um, because you don't know when one episode is gonna start with a really small thing and then end up as a full Denmark episode, as they showed, or it'll just be one character doing this the whole time, or it's just a flashback episode. You don't know where it's gonna go from the start of one episode to where that episode will end. You don't know Okay, is the mold a problem? Is that gonna be a th- theme throughout the season that they're trying to do or is that a for lack of better term like a sitcom premise because this show is great at that it does like quote unquote it can do a bottle episode or it can do a this plot matters once but it a certain plot may carry through a whole season and it's going to keep you guessing to where the actual episodes and story may go but people always act as they would which is great because that's where the sitcom element, the comfort element of this show kicks in. The drama is intense and great, but it stays grounded. And these people can all come back and apologize and whatever, and their relationship grows stronger. And it feels real, and it feels like everyone is behaving how they would. And I could not applaud them enough for being able to do that. I cannot imagine how difficult that is. I mean, because just think about it. Nobody else can fucking do it. So that right there will tell you a lot. The reference to that that I was making is that he, the brother-in-law, the dopey guy who's married to Carmi's sister. I don't remember his name again. Sorry. Shug's husband. He sees the mom and he goes out there and I'm my immediate reaction is like he should tell her to fucking leave and not come in. Like that would be the right thing to do for the health of everyone because you just saw. You know, a traumatic experience of undoubtedly hundreds that they had throughout their lives prior. And there's nothing good that would happen from her showing up there. And they they should know that. And Carmi did know that. Everyone at that party knew that. Only the sister was like, I need to help. We can make this better. And Carmi alludes to that. He's like, she can come. I'll be fine. But it's I'm worried about my sister. And she shows... And but again, you should think like this will just be a disaster. She's going to make a scene. She's going to it's a friends and family night, but it's just not good for the vibes of the place. So my thought is like he should go out there and tell her to get the fuck out and stand up for his wife. Uh, But no, he's a dumbass. And that's who the character is. And he acts like he would. And he makes a bad decision and says something stupid. And he tries to get her to come inside. And the honestly, what's unlike the mom. But again, you don't really know her. She shows up and she's like, I don't. She's basically like, I don't deserve to get to go in there. She has a self-aware moment. She's like, I shouldn't have shown up. This was wrong, which was what I was thinking. Correct. She shouldn't have. So she weirdly took surrogate for the audience there, I think. And that's maybe undeserved, but it was right for the show. And, you know, it did kind of bring it full circle in a way. And I think there are probably also like, hey, Jamie Lee Curtis, can you just film one more thing for us? And it's just a way to get Jamie Lee Curtis into another episode, which is great for your television show. So I fully, fully understand all the reasoning and whatever. Um, but I appreciate that the character who's going to continue to be on the show for sure, he doesn't actually change. Again, these people change. These people don't change. They grow. And this guy is just still stupid. (laughs) But he was the inverse. He was emotionally sensitive enough to not tell his wife that she was out there. 
and that he manned up. She asked him that, like, hey, don't tell them I was here. But he manned up and flipped it and made it just like, hey, I'm really proud of you. Don't worry. This isn't about her. Like, this should be about you and what you accomplished. Like, you don't need her to validate this in so many words. And he was right to do that. So he did end up making the right choice like I had wanted him to just after being stupid first, which is essentially what everybody on this show does. They all fuck up and make mistakes and then they own up to them. And they fucking work together in the end. And it's beautiful to watch. It's beautiful. Because I have comfort in this. Not here. Again, I'll just say. Being a hometown thing definitely factors into how much I love this show because, you know, that element just makes it that much more, again, like home because it just feels like it. But I love the people and I love the characters just as I would. If this were set somewhere else, I would still definitely very deeply love this show. And I would probably have to be New York for me to love it like this this much. Uh, just because you maybe Milwaukee would be somewhat relatable. But like if this thing's in L.A., I guess is my point. The cultural references and all that other shit I'm just way less interested in or them like name dropping streets and restaurants and whatever. I just don't care. So there's that. But the skeleton of everything is great either way. And there's no way I would not love this show no matter what. Um, because these people are great. The actors that they found to play these people are great. And I love all of them. And I want to see all of them. And I'm not upset when it breaks into someone else's side story. Because it's always interesting. And it's always thoughtful. But it's always either funny or dramatic. Uh, Carmi reconnects with an old flame. And I swear to God, the first time she was on screen, I was like, do I know that girl? She looks like she's from here. I don't know how they can do that or if that's even a thing because maybe every maybe that's the thing. They find people that fit forever. You know what I mean? Like they could plug and play anywhere and maybe someone who's watching this show in fucking Tampa is like, I feel like I knew that girl and maybe that's what they're really doing. I don't know, but it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Like maybe it would connect with me no matter where it was for that reason. Um, but yeah, it's my favorite show now. Now that Succession is over, this is my favorite show on TV. Um, I won't confidently say that it is the best, but I think it's the best. Um, but it's not quite as prestige in that way. It's not quite as cinematic, although it is very cinematic and the shots are incredible. Don't get me wrong. It just it has all of the best parts of every type of show. It has all of the things you love about a sitcom, a comfortable setting, great characters who you know and love, but it also progresses like a drama. There is intense drama and moments. There are thrilling, mo- like it's everything you could want in a thing. And it breaks rules. It's Is it a 30-minute show? Sometimes. Sometimes it's an hour. Sometimes it's just like 42 minutes. It's just whatever it needs to be. And that's all I've ever wanted in something. That's what I talk about on this show all the time. Is how things just should be what they need to be. You know what I mean? There doesn't... A movie can be three hours if it's justified. You know, an episode of a show can be 90 minutes if it's justified. I don't care. Make it be what it should be. And that's all that this is. It's just perfect. It's a chaos menu. And that's, it's the best. It's just the best. An incredible balance of everything. Um, And what's great is that since this is a hit, it'll likely just keep rolling the same way it has. You know what I mean? Like, what did they do? They use season one as a like fucking proof of concept, basically, for this fucking thing. They had no budget, not a lot of time. And then they made the premise for season two. Okay, <laughs> we're building a new restaurant. We have no budget, not a lot of time. 
So is season three, the restaurant's a hit. Now what? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, seems like they have a lot to work with in reality on what the show is. Um, as long as the, the numbers stay really high, which I hope they will, because the quality didn't fucking go anywhere. They fucking upgraded every single part of the show. They can upgrade every part of the show even further. And there will be a reason for Jamie Lee Curtis to maybe come back, for maybe John Mulaney to do it again. The fact that it's a hit is great for this show. It could be a problem. They made it. They They did all the right things with their added perks. I'm hoping... More episodes, more budget. Let's go. I cannot wait for another season of this. Hopefully on time, too. Next summer. Let's run this shit. This is the best fucking thing out. And it's like, I wish it came out weekly just because it would take out more of my summer, but I also loved watching it nonstop. I hated that I had to take a couple breaks for whatever you know, situation was happening. First night, just had to go to sleep. I was like, fuck, we started too late. I wish we could have done this sooner. You know? Next day, was like, oh, there's, you know, I have plans, gotta go. It's like, fuck. I woke up, and I was like, I cannot wait to start. 100% approval rating. Keep it up, Christopher Storer. God bless you. God bless you, Jeremy Allen White. And the entire cast and crew, this is the fucking best thing ever. This was made for me. It's everything I like. And you heard what my nitpicks were. Barely fucking anything. I also am not confident that they were in Copenhagen, but all the reviews of that episode are that the episode was great. Not that it wasn't great. Just didn't seem to me like they filmed that there, but it's nobody seemed to have mentioned it at all. So I don't want to sound that stupid where they're like, yeah, we definitely, and they clearly went to fucking Copenhagen. Uh, but I don't think that they were there. It just didn't seem like it. it seemed like a lot of really well done green screen placement. And not that well done because I noticed. But could be wrong. Or just the only asshole who will bring it up. <laughs> Whatever. Now let's talk about something that sucks. <laughs> Wes, buddy, what the fuck is going on, man? I just don't get it. I don't get it. I thought this movie sucked. Fuck it. Hated it. Uh, like 25 minutes in, I was like, I think we're in a lot of trouble here. And uh, I was right. Man, what a snoozer. Asteroid City, most boring movie I've seen all year. 100% true. Uh, I just don't get it. And listen, little backstory. I fucking love Wes Anderson. I love his movies. In fact, let's go through the filmography real quick. And I'll give... Stream of consciousness like grade ratings, just so we can be clear about my fandom of this, okay? Now, this is grading on a true scale, not like a weighted, like cinema score bullshit where A is the only thing that's good. Bottle Rocket, B plus Rushmore, B minus. I don't get that one. People really love that one. I don't get it. Royal Tenenbaums, A. Life Aquatic, B. B. Darjeeling Limited, B minus. Fantastic Mr. Fox, A plus. Moonrise Kingdom, A. Grand Budapest, no. Moonrise, A minus. Budapest, A. Isle of Dogs, B. Just B. Then we go French Dispatch, a solid D, no, F. That's a failure. And then Asteroid City, I'll give a D. Probably minus, but we'll just say D. Point being, like, I will tell, I would have told you prior to French Dispatch, like, ah, Darjeeling's not my favorite, but if you put it on, I'll definitely watch it. Same with Life Aquatic. You know what I mean? Like, his worst movie was, like, pretty goddamn good. 
in my book. Isle of Dogs was a little eh. Like the story wasn't that great. French Dispatch to me, listen, I guess I just don't get it at all. I thought it was boring as hell. I'm not an anthology movie guy. To me, you're just saying like, I couldn't come up with a movie. (laughs) You know? So whatever. I was like, okay, that one's just a wash. That's fine. It's also, you know, it's about a newspaper. I just don't care. Um, It really seems like the only people who prop up movies about writers are writers writing reviews, you know? So it's just like a fucking gimme anyway. Uh, This, I don't know what the fuck this was supposed to be. So first of all, (sighs) this isn't just a fucking movie set in the desert in the 50s about these kids. It's a fictional play and the movie itself is a broadcast of a documentary of the inner workings of this play that is apparently very famous at the time. Now, the biggest flaw of that is that it sucks and is really boring, so nobody would have made this documentary about this play that you're claiming is great. Like, the, the <laughs> in the documentary, they're like, one of the greatest fucking plays of our generation. The play's terrible because it's the movie. So, essentially, that part is in black and white, and that is just some anchor for you to watch what is the movie itself. And it's in black and white to differentiate it, and... Essentially, he wrote this to cram just more famous people into this part. There's no other reason for it. It doesn't make sense at all, right? Like in Grand Budapest, it's the same working of Grand Budapest where it's like, okay, she goes to the grave of the author. There's no real reason for that part, but then the author is Jude Law who is staying at the hotel and Jude Law talks to the owner who then tells the story which is actually the movie you're watching however they're cutting back to jude law interviewing this guy at dinner constantly and that's somewhat interesting in either way like it's just like a nugget within the store it was just a way to make the story a little more interesting and to just kind of give you more context almost because it would just be why because there's not really another way to do it without being like a bunch of text on screen or narrator anyway so they're like let's give a reason for there to be a narrator okay that's fine moonrise kingdom just directly said in the past here's the story great please do that this one there's no reason to do it at all um the things don't really correlate that well at all and yeah it just doesn't It doesn't make sense. It doesn't help that one of the characters in this play is also an actress. So that kind of breaks it up. Um, But yes, so then when they cut to it in black and white, the characters are just actors playing the characters. And then when it's in full color, it is the play itself. Great. Uh, They cut to behind the scenes like three or four times. They literally do add different new stars to have little cameos each time. It's just 100% a reason to do that. It does not add a thing to the story at all, at least not for me. Um, The compliments I'll give, the set design, as always, is great. Him doing a tiny little desert town is fun and clever and makes a lot of sense, actually. Uh, the Technicolor look of it and being in the 1950- like 1950s coloring and all that, phenomenal. Great visually for him. The shots is always... Like, all of the technical shit that's always great stays always great. It's just that... Listen, his characters are always weird and offbeat and they don't really communicate right and all this stuff. But you spend a lot of time with them and you still kind of learn their quirks and how they act and you get to enjoy them. This is so filled with so many characters that 
they all just act weird and you don't give a fuck about any of them. So who cares that they're acting weird? Do you know what I mean? And it's like on this one, especially all the line readings just really shine through of like, we get how Wes Anderson characters talk, you know, someone stares at someone and then they talk to them like this. And then the other one goes like this and the other one goes, yes. And the other one goes, okay. And then there's a hard cut. It's like, we get it, man. You've done it a hundred thousand fucking times. <laughs> and now, again, I, I'm not sick of that. My favorite thing about Fantastic Mr. Fox is that it's a hundred percent his movie. The dialogue and everything, the way that they speak, the way that they read the lines is great. And it's in his style. And to do that in an animated movie is great. But it this one of all of them truly does feel like a parody of himself and that criticism had started since like Grand Budapest or even Moonrise. But to me, those movies just work and are great. And I've been hearing too many people say that this movie is him responding to his criticism and is intentionally parodying himself. Blah, blah, blah. I've been over this a million times on the show. If you're intentionally doing something that sucks... That's not good because that just means you made something that sucks. So whether it's on purpose and it's quote unquote over my head, the movie was boring and not good. So whatever reasoning you want to give for the things I'm complaining about, it doesn't make them more entertaining or less boring. So that's just how it is. I'm sorry. Tom Hanks had no place in this movie. He did not work. It didn't seem like he understood how any of this shit goes. Maybe that's just that the character wasn't right. Who knows? Uh, but was the worst part of the movie. Um, literally, the movie's anchored around a, a man and son who's like the wife mother just died. And there's no there's no effect. It just doesn't seem like anyone has any real problems other than they just like state that they have problems. And yes, there's a big scene a big scene. There's not a big scene in this whole movie, but there's a scene where Scarlett Johansson kind of like explains that and just like winks at the camera to everybody. She doesn't literally, but she's like, we're people who don't want to talk about our feelings. And that's essentially like all of Wes Anderson's work. That's what you're supposed to get out of that. Great. Um, there's just no depth to anyone in this, no matter what. Right, like you think about Ben Stiller's character in Tenenbaums, it was because his wife died that he acted the way that he did, and that's... Ex it just makes more sense when it's, when it's told to you. Oh, he is quirky, here is why. But these people all just act this way and then explain that they have pro... You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Like, this guy was acting this way either way. These kids... I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. You know? Like, there was just real emotion behind it. And these people were clearly, like, affected by things. And in this one, Jason Schwartzman is just like, my wife is dead. And, oh, because they agree that... It's just... Come on. It's It's just not right. No, nothing in this worked for me at all. Uh, the scene where Jeff Goldblum is the alien behind the scenes is kind of funny. Uh, again, just the shots were good. Steve Carell actually works pretty well in this. He was pretty good. Uh, I guess nobody's performance was technically very like bad, but like the parents of the other children that are at this conference... It, you just don't spend enough time with anyone to get a grasp for, for who anyone is or how they actually act. Um, they all just act like Wes Anderson dialogue. But you don't know any of them, so none of it makes any sense. That's my whole point. You know, Royal Tenenbaums is literally a study of each one of these characters. And you learn a ton about them. And it matters. <laughs> you know? And then they also show through their family interaction how they are the way they are and why like it all clicks and makes sense this one is just a hodgepodge of fucking people acting quirky and that's all you get out of it and it basically is just more vignettes and more short films that's how this feels 
It's just completely disconnected. Oh, I threw a bunch of little like types of people in a thing, but we don't spend any time or, you know, I've said it again. This is my same problem I always have. <laughs> Saying the same thing in different ways. I tried to avoid that with the bear and I can't avoid it with this because this was fucking dreadful and I had a terrible time. Uh, yeah. So could not be more disappointed in that one, really. Uh, as a fan, especially it being heralded as a, quote, return to form, which is either saying that the French Dispatch sucked or nothing else, really, because all he'd made before that was Isle of Dogs, so it's animated. Of course, that's literally different, you know? Um. Other than that, though, it's like... The movie before that was Grand Budapest Hotel, so <laughs> I, I I think that that was as in form as he had ever been. It was his most successful movie in every way, a bunch of Oscar nominations and all that. And to me, this feels like he's just completely removed from that category, especially after the French Dispatch. Look, if his whole thing is I'm just going to assemble 500 really famous people for every movie I make and I'm going to frame the movies around that, then that's fine if that's how he wants to do that. Um, I, I just don't think anything worked about this at all. I think he needs to write another script with Owen Wilson. I think that would really go a long way. Because if you look through his scripts, um, he hasn't worked on one with him since, oh my God. Oh, I guess just Royal Tenenbaums. Oh my God. That's crazy. Okay, well, I didn't know that. Uh, maybe he should write with Noah Baumbach again. I don't, I, maybe it's just him and Roman Coppola aren't the only duo that works then. Never mind. Um, I don't know. Something needs to switch up, though. Because I just don't understand it. Um, now, I do believe he has a short film coming out. Also a Roald Dahl adaptation. Um, so that should be great. He did great the first time adapting Roald Dahl, so I have high hopes for that one. But, uh, yeah, the original stuff, look, I, I just don't know if it works. Like, technically, all that this movie is about is, again, it's a play, but these kids show up for a stargazing convention, which makes no sense. There's, like, five fucking kids or whatever. It's really dumb. <laughs> and... Then an alien comes, and then they're quarantined in this little town. And then that's it. Like, there's no consequence to anything that happens. The plot is entirely pointless. Like, literally what happens is the alien comes, takes an asteroid, then he puts it back a week later. Nobody gets hurt. Nothing happens to anybody. Uh, the main kid develops a relationship with some girl. They don't show it. <laughs> like, it's all completely superficial and mathematical and pointless. There's no human emotion in this remotely at all in any way. And there's some comedy. There's a couple times I maybe chuckled. Um, there's a couple bits with, like, a band and whatever, uh, but overall, man, just dry and slow and fucking boring as hell. So I would say keep your money even if it's $5. Well, if it's $5 and you really want to see it, do it. Because it'll cost you that much to rent it once it's out for rent. So, well, the way they do it now where the first time it's out for rent, it's like 20 bucks. It's like, that doesn't even make any fucking sense. I guess people are that eager. I don't know. Either way, I hope it does. Honestly, I do hope it does well financially. Unfortunately, that means a lot of people will be disappointed and waste their money. But 
movies like this do need to get made and put into theaters. So like I do want that. I don't want people like Wes Anderson to have to make like Netflix originals and whatever. I just want him to make a better fucking movie. This shit sucked. And I don't think there's any way any conversation with anybody, even Wes Anderson, could change my mind. Now, Wes, if you're willing to state an argument, I'll hear it. I'd love to chat. <laughs> I've got some ideas I could kick around. Uh, not for your stuff, but, you know. Hire me. So, yeah, uh, check it out, but buy a ticket. This is what you should do. Buy a ticket to Asteroid City, but go see some other movie. Go see, like, something you want to see. That's good. <laughs> uh, Dial of Destiny next week, ladies and gentlemen. I think at some point before, I'm going to do a Crystal Skull rewatch. We don't need to go over the originals. I may have. I, no, you know what? I looked through my episodes to make sure I didn't, and I never did. We don't need to go over the... Like, there's just nothing more to be said about the first three. But I'm going to do Crystal Skull, I think, and then we'll do Dial of Destiny, a dual episode. Uh, we'll try to get justice for it if he can get to the movie theater. We'll see. He wasn't able to make it for today's conversation. He did tell me he somehow loved Asteroid City, but I think that's because he's trying to be pretentious now. You know, he's watching like fashion shows and stuff. So I think he thinks he's plugged into like Wes Anderson's world. So Justice, hope you listen to this and uh, you're a fucking dumbass. <laughs> the movie's this movie's terrible. Uh, so, yeah. Big episode next week, Indiana Jones, my fucking, is that my favorite film franchise? That and Back to the Future, like top two? Maybe. Put no thought into that statement before I said it, so could be way off. But I'm very excited for that. Uh, unlike Asteroid City, I didn't have high expectations for Asteroid City. I just had like good expectations. I think I have mid-expectations for Indiana Jones. Like, I would say it needs it needs to not... I don't know. After I watch Crystal Skull, I'll, I'll, but I'm going to say it needs to be at least at Crystal Skull level for it to be worth anything. And I am afraid that it isn't, but the reviews I'm reading are basically, this is just another Indiana Jones movie. And it's like, well, isn't that, isn't that what everybody thought about the, f the other one? But like the reviews are bad reviews, but they say that it's better, but unnecessary. And it's like, well, wasn't the other one unnecessary? Like you technically could have called the second one unnecessary at the time because it's the wor it was the worst one. Like, consider how much worse Temple of Doom is than Raiders of the Lost Ark, considering it's the worst overall to this day, even with Crystal Skull. So imagine after Raiders, you saw Temple of Doom. People, I think retroactively, it's more despised. But at the time, I think they did like it. Regardless, imagine that drop-off. So now, this is a much different drop-off. So, I don't know. We'll see. I'll let you know. Thanks for tuning in to Requiem for a Tuesday. Please rate, review, and subscribe and share. You got friends? Why are you keeping this podcast a secret? Of all the podcasts you listen to, this is the one you don't tell anybody about? That doesn't make any sense. Tell people. Share it. Rate, review, and subscribe. Check out the merch. Click the links below. Do any, all, or one of those things, please. And thank you. <laughs> it's a lot every time that's the problem it's like i feel like oh can i pitch one thing it's like well if i pitch one thing i'm leaving out other things that might be more important so i give you 10 calls to action do one call to action please <laughs> i'm also just stalling because i don't want this episode to be 59 minutes and 32 seconds so you definitely don't have to listen anymore. The episode is 100% over. 
I'm just vamping. And no, I'm kidding. <laughs> and remember, I are fat. You are fat. We are fat. Calculators.